All right. Pre-game's over. Now we're into the real deal. Open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 2. It's back to church Sunday and the Lord laid a message on my heart regarding church, about church, the importance of church. I've entitled this message, So Who Needs Church Anyway? Uh, my answer to that question is every human on the planet, every single person in the world needs to be involved in church. Church is an amazing place. There's four things I want to share with you this morning. If you want to write these down in your, uh, on your sermon note page, four words. Information, affirmation, transformation, and confirmation. If you need help spelling, talk to your neighbor. Information, affirmation, transformation, confirmation. One of the main reasons I come to church is because there's a lot of funny things that happen at church. Some amazing things that are just plain hilarious. Years ago, I was at a youth conference and a, a youth pastor that happened to be speaking, and apparently this is a true story, but he said he was at a church and there was a gentleman in that church whose last name, whose name was Harry Butts. Why a parent would do that, I don't know, but anyway, that's the truth. It was an unfortunate Sunday because two lady visitors had come in and sat down next to him. And the pastor, not completely thinking about what he was saying, acknowledged these two ladies and simply said, oh, I see we have some visitors. Would the two ladies with hairy butts please stand? <laughs> it would have been okay, but the youth pastor was sitting on the platform. He started laughing so hard that he fell off his chair and then that was the end of the service. I don't plan to make any kind of mistakes like that this morning, but who knows? All right? Here, the bulletins are amazing places. People, you know, there's a reason that we proofread our bulletins. These were not. Bertha Belch, a missionary from Africa, will be speaking tonight at Calvary Methodist. Come here, Bertha Belch, all the way from Africa. A church bulletin during a, a minister's illness said, God is good, Dr. Hargreaves is better. <laughs> Applications are now being accepted for two-year-old nursery workers. <laughs> Barbara remains in the hospital, needs blood donors for more transfusion. She's also having trouble sleeping and requests tapes of Pastor Fred's sermons. Yeah, I don't believe that, but whatever. I love, this is probably my favorite one. The Low Self-Esteem Support Group will meet Thursday at 7 to 8.30. Please use the back door. <laughs> at the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, What is Hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. And then the best one of all, 
The Weight Watchers will meet at 7 p.m. Please use large double door at the side entrance. <sighs> church. Church. It's a great place. I love church. Church is a great place. It's fun. It's just absolutely fun. But there are some people that don't, won't come to church, and they give an amazing reasons. They really give some, actually they're sad reasons. They're really not amazing after all. Some of the reasons you hear are, man, I don't, I'm not going to church. All he wants is your money. Well, let me solve that problem for you right now. We don't want, that's not all we want. We want your time, your energy, your person. We want everything. We just want the whole package. We don't, not just your money. That's not just what we want. We want everything. We just want it all. So, uh, yeah, if somebody says, I'm going to church because all he wants is your money, tell them, no, 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 they really want more than that. Bring everything. Bring it all. Or, you know, church is full of hypocrites. The only way you're going to eliminate hypocrites in your life is to move to a different planet. And as soon as you get there, it'll have a hypocrite there. So you're, you're dead. There's no, you know, hypocrite, everybody's a hypocrite. How many of you are pretending to be somebody different? I'm pretending to be a pastor right now. I'm actually a golfer. Well, depending on those who have played with me, they may say, yeah, you're pretending to do that too. So either way, whatever. But, you know, people just have so many different ideas about what church is. And I've, I've had people, you know, they'll get to know me and they go, are you really a pastor? Are you sure about that? No, shh, let's pretend. Shh, don't tell anybody that. I'm trying to keep it undercover here. Another story... This uh, gentleman was stranded on a desert island. He is finally rescued. And when they find him, he has built three little thatch-roofed huts. And so they say, well, what's that one over there? He said, that's my house. So, oh, okay. Well, what's that middle one? Well, that's my church. Oh, really? Neat. Well, what's that other one? Well, that's the church I used to go to. This guy had so, much pro so many problems, he couldn't even stand himself in his own church. I mean, how ridiculous is that? But church, welcome back to church. Where did all this start? Whose idea was this anyway? Acts chapter 2. Turn to uh, verse 14. I'm going to read a fair amount of scripture, so uh, grab your Bibles and hang on. Here we go. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. The context here is this is the day of Pentecost. A lot of people have just heard a bunch of people speaking in languages they never learned, and they didn't understand it. It was a little bit confusing, and now Peter's going to kind of clarify this. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire, billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Probably the greatest verse in Scripture. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by wicked, put him to death, nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is my, at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, my tongue rejoices, my body also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life, and you will, and you will fill me with the joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried. His tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him an oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, and he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Okay? Let's stop there for a second. The first word that you wrote down was information. The reason that we need to come to church is for information. Not just basic information, but truth. Where else on planet Earth can you go and hear the unadulterated, absolute truth? Nowhere. You won't find it in the newspaper. In the paper, you're going to hear opinions. On the newscasts, on television, you're going to hear the opinions of people that are involved in gathering news. They're going to give you and show you and tell you what they think is important. It may be true. There may be true events that are being talked about, but they will never give you the truth. The truth is Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. There is no other religion on the planet that speaks the truth. They will give you a truth. They will tell you some things that may be true. But none of them will give you the full truth. Absolute truth is what Peter was sharing with them in this passage of scripture. He told them Jesus validated his ministry. Jesus proved himself to you through miracles, through signs, and through wonders. It's how these kinds of things happen. Jesus is about the truth. What did Jesus say about himself? I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus said the truth will set you free. That's what people need to hear. They need to hear, they need, you, need, you need to understand that when you come to church, you come to church to receive information, and that information is the truth. If you go into a church and you find out the pastor is preaching from the New York Times, find another church. 
If you come into a church and you find out the pastor is talking about the latest soap opera, find another church, unless it's just an illustration. But if he's spending a lot of time on that, get to another church. Don't waste your Sunday morning or Saturday night somewhere where you're not going to hear the truth. I've been in this church nearly 20 years. Pastor Merrill's been here approximately 100 years. No, not that long. <laughs> long time, though. Long time. Can you ever imagine or can you ever think of a time I have yet to, and I've been in a lot of services. I was just, I was trying to figure it out how many times I've been in church since I got saved. I got saved when I was 10 years old, 61. 51 years, an average of, let's see, probably an average of almost 100 sermons a year. That's over 5,000 sermons. I'm exhausted. And this is like 5,004 or whatever. But five heard the truth 5,000 times. Now, I have now a responsibility to probably share a little bit of that truth with somebody else. Everyone in this place, you've heard probably at least 100 sermons. Unless you just walked in here today off the street and you've never heard anything about Jesus. And you get to be, this is number one. Information, truth, it is so powerful. It is so exciting. Information is power. Truth is even more power. Truth will give you courage. Because, you know, when you're telling the truth, you don't have to be afraid of anything. Well, there may be some consequences to that. And unfortunately, some of our kids today in their schools... You know, they, you know they're, they're encouraged to tell the truth, but they're afraid of the consequences. Just tell the truth anyway. Tell the truth. Speak the truth. Peter shares the truth with these people, and it begins a process. And here's what the process is. The first thing that happens after the information flows out and the truth of Christ is presented is this very important thing. Look at verse 37. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? They were cut to the heart. That's the second word, the affirmation. You see, when you hear truth, you have to react to it. There has to be an affirmation of it. You have to say, yes, that sounds like the truth. Yes, I believe that. Yes, this is true. And, once, and that's more than just mental. You have to do more than just mentally accept the truth. It has to become a part of your person. It has to become a part of your like, soul, of who you are, of what you are. Because once you establish the truth in your life, you can affirm it. You can, you can repeat it. You can live on it. You can bank on it. Revelation time. The internet is not a source of truth. I don't care what that girl says on television. Oh, they can't put anything on the internet. It's not true. Really? Yeah, this is my date. He's a French model. Bonjour, dude. Yow! <laughs> Good Lord. The internet's not a source of truth. Are there true things on the internet? Sure. But it's not the source of truth. This is a source of truth. 
There has to, you have to make an affirmation in your life that says, yes, I believe this. I believe that Jesus was real. I believe that he came. I believe that he died for my sins on the cross. I believe that he rose again from the dead. I believe that he's coming back again. I'm going to make, that is truth. It's the truth. And once you know it, once you understand it, once you affirm it, things, even more exciting things begin to happen. I, you know, I love to, I like to parallel this whole experience to, to the marriage, to, to being married. I've been married 40 years in December. Oh, man. Um, pray for my wife. Um, but you see, when I, I, I got some information about her when I first met her. And then, I, it was like, well, here's how this all led up. I, I had dated some girls prior to meeting Linda. And I finally came to the place where I thought, you know what, God? You pick. I'm done. This isn't working out. I don't like this whole system. You pick. You pick my wife. So he does. She lives 250 miles away. I'm going, God, nothing closer? No. All right, fine, whatever. And so that, I, I began to get some information. I began to get some truth. And, it was like, and, it, and then it got settled in my heart. And then I had to affirm that truth by asking her out on a date. Thank God she accepted. So that was good. Otherwise, I'd start the whole process over again. But she accepted. And so it was I began to affirm that, yes, you are going to, this is the woman that's going to be my wife. Now, it took a while for me to convince her that that truth was to be affirmed in her mind. But we did it. We got her done. We got her done. But then we... We affirmed that in each other's lives. And then we began to make plans for our wedding. And the wedding, and I'll show you how it parallels with this a, a little bit later. But, but you see, it, it wasn't a mental thing. How many of you got married because you just mentally thought it was a nice idea? If that's the case, you need to come and see me quickly because your marriage is in trouble. It has to move from here to hear. It has to be part of your soul. You have to understand that marriage, weddings, and all of that is such an important part of the reality of life that it just becomes a part of who you are. And that relationship and fellowship and all that part is part of it. And I'm speaking, you know, I'm kind of talking from personal experience here. But it's that affirmation of, yes, this is important. And yes, I believe it. I feel it. And I, you know, I'm not just married here, I'm married here. The whole package, the whole deal. You're going, whoa, that's a huge, never mind, let's not go there. But this affirmation is part of the whole process. You have to affirm that you are saved. You know it, you feel it, you believe it. Because then the next, the next part of the process is number three is this idea of transformation. Look at what Peter says. They said, what shall we do? We believe what you're telling us is truth. Now what? Now what? Now what? You see, this is how you witness to people. This is how you, you, you try to draw people to Christ. You don't tell them how bad they are. You tell them how awesome God is. Okay? How many of you need someone to remind you that you're bad? How many of you go out looking, hey, how do I look? I feel awful. What do you think? 
I agree. You look terrible. You're pitiful. You're pathetic. Thanks. I just needed to confirm that. Thank you. Just want to make sure. Nobody does that. Unless you're really weird. We don't do that. We, instead, we're, you know, hey, what do you think? I'm looking pretty good today, aren't I? No. <laughs> we play these little mind games for some reason. But this whole process of leading people to Christ is about getting them in contact with the truth. Let the truth take care of their salvation. The Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you to the person that's ready to hear the truth and act on it, believe it, and then begin to make the next step. The next step is transformation. Verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you, your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Transformation. There's a change. On our wedding day, I can still see it in my mind, Linda steps back, steps out from the back foyer area and starts walking down the aisle. In a matter of moments, my life will never be the same. Because I will move from being single to being married. One woman will be blessed, hundreds of women will be disappointed. I'm kidding. Just seeing if you're paying attention. Just checking. But I, my life at that moment was transformed. Because I put on a ring? No. Was it because I shared a few warm, fuzzy thoughts? No. It's because I affirmed a truth that God had given this woman to me as my life's partner. I affirmed it and then publicly made a vow to her and committed myself to her. That's what, that's what salvation is similar to. When we get saved, we hear the truth. The truth causes us to become a believer. We begin to believe it. Then there's a transformation that takes place and we have to repent. What does that mean? That we have to come to God and then list all the horrible things we've done in our lives? No. God already knows that. He really doesn't care. God really doesn't care about all the bad things you've done. I mean, Louis Dooley would have probably taken him two years to repent if he had to list every terrible thing he'd ever done. Why? Why on earth would God want to hear that? Why would he want you to rehearse your entire, all the terrible things you've ever done? Repentance, there's only one thing you need to repent of. Father, forgive me for ignoring you and not accepting Jesus and his death as payment for my sin. That's it. For us to come, oh God, I've been awful. Tell me about it. Well, I did this, I did that, I have struggled with this, I can't do that, and I don't do that, and I do this, and I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's get to the important part. Father, forgive me. Father, forgive me. You're done. That's repentance because you have changed the way you think. Because people that are not believers don't think they need to be forgiven for anything. What do they normally say? Well, I'm good enough. I haven't killed anybody. 
that's not really the, the key to getting to heaven, okay? Well, I don't cheat on my taxes much. You know, I don't say like a lot of bad words. I go to church, you know, sometimes. God is not interested in what you do. He's interested in how you think. He's interested in what you believe. And it's so important to get a handle on this. When Peter said repent, change the way you think. Change how you identify yourself. Because you, when, you move, when you repent, when you become a Christian, you move from being an unbeliever to a believer. You move from going to hell to going to heaven. You move from running your own life to allowing Jesus Christ, King of Kings and Lord of Lords, to run your life. That's the difference. And if you're willing to make that transformation... I got great news for you. Heaven is going to be an awesome place. Heaven is going to be an awesome place. I do not want to sneak into heaven. I want to just storm in there. Yeah! I made it! Hallelujah! Thank you, Jesus! I want to slide in. Wow! What a ride! God, that was amazing. So this is heaven. Where's the golf course? There's got to be hundreds of them. Amen? Well, I may ask, where's the buffet? Is there won't be any calories up there. We'll be blessed beyond words, man. It'll be awesome. No, the first thing I want to do when I walk through the gates of heaven is I want to find Jesus. And I want to put my arms around him and personally thank him. Thank you, Jesus, for saving my life. Thank you, Jesus, that you took all the pain and suffering for me. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Now, where's the golf course? <laughs> I'm a little focused, sorry. Transformation, it's a change of thinking. Because when you, when you accept Christ, when you begin to understand who Jesus really is, you start living like a citizen of heaven and not a citizen of earth. Hello? You start living like a citizen of heaven. Is there a recession in heaven? I don't think so. Are there, is there fear in heaven? Mm -mm. Is there doubt in heaven. I think the angels sit around worrying very much in heaven. I doubt it. I just, I no, there's no way. So then, when Jesus came here, having known what goes on in heaven, and he comes here and he says, don't worry, don't worry about tomorrow. It's covered. Fear not. How many times is that Mentioned in the New Testament. It seems like over and over again. It's like, fear not. Don't be afraid. It's okay. Fear not. Fear not. Fear not. I see a pattern there. Maybe I should stop fearing. That's why, you know, I, I get so annoyed with people that want to pump paranoia into the body of Christ. I want to hurt those people. Because they are 
preaching and speaking lies. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If you begin to think and act and breathe and walk and talk like you're a citizen of heaven and not a citizen of earth, you're going to impact the lives of people. Because how you handle crisis and how you handle success and how you handle life is going to be different than the way people in this world function. We're believers. I was thinking about this this morning. Do you realize that the only, there's two things that we have in common in this building right now? We're human and we're believers. What else do we have in common? Not much. Some of you are family, but no. I mean, there's a gathering of humans that are all believers in Christ. And that's what heaven's going to be. Only there will be glorified humans and believers. Forgiven. That's the transformation process. That's how it works. We come to church to gain, to get information and truth. We affirm that truth through our worship. We sing the truth. How many of you appreciate the fact that Leanne always has us singing the truth? You know, it's, we don't just come in and go, la, 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 No, we sing words that are actually true. That helps tremendously. Transformation. Final thing. Verse 42. What was the impact of this? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe. Many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. The believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. The final step is confirmation. We confirm all that, is, all that happens in church when we do something. When we sign our name on a, dot, on a line that says, I'm going to show up at a free lunch. If Chris McClure is offering a free lunch, I'm coming. No, I don't even care what he's serving. The fact that he is serving a free lunch is a miracle, a sign, and a wonder. <laughs> Amen. Prison ministry. If we don't care, who's going to care? If we don't care, who's going to care? There are a thousand bags and stuff, and there are trucks and pods and places and things and stuff that need to be moved before this coming Friday. If you can at all possible come back at 4 o'clock this afternoon to help with that, do it. Confirm that God's word is the truth. Affirm that it's true in your heart. Affirm the fact, confirm the fact that you've been transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit and now you're going to rise up and step out and do something to help someone else. See, Christianity is not about it's not fire insurance to make sure that you make it into heaven. It's about reaching out and touching other people. 
It's ministering to the lives of other humans. Don't go to heaven alone. Don't go to heaven by yourself. Share the truth with someone. Stick with them until they can affirm it in their own heart and life and they really believe it. And then watch the transformation take place. Watch them begin to say, hey, where do you go to church? Can I come with you? Can I come with you to church? Sure. Just don't let anybody know you know me. No. Sit with them. Bring them to church. Let the Holy Spirit work on them. Watch their lives transform. How many of you have ever seen somebody's life transformed by the power of God? You ever seen that happen? Amazing. It's absolutely amazing. The transformation. Then the confirmation. Men, confirm that you are a believer. Confirm the fact that you want to be a man of influence. Confirm that fact. Pull out ten bucks and sign up and get your ticket to that influence seminar. Ladies, confirm the fact that God is at work in your life and find out what Jerry Alexi needs. She needs women to host tables for the ladies' tea. I can't believe I just said that. But that's coming. The ladies' tea. Ministry. Invite a friend to a movie night. Bring someone to Harvest America on the 29th. Confirm your faith by doing something for the kingdom of God. That's how you do it. That's how you make it solid. That's how the enemy knows that you're not just playing games. He knows that you're the real deal. And that that you've now become a true enemy of his. Because you are moving forward to make a difference in the kingdom of God. Find out about prison ministry. There's, a, there's a, many things that you can be involved in and, and reach out and begin to touch other people's lives and make a difference. You see, how do you prove that you're a Christian? How do you prove that? Just wear a big cross around your neck? That doesn't prove anything. There's a great story about a woman who had, on the back of her car, she had bumper stickers. One said, follow me to such and such a church, and I love Jesus. And She's at a stoplight. And there's a lady in front of her that's not moving. The light turns green, and she's just sitting there doing something. So she's on the horn, eh, eh, sticks her head, come on, let's go, come on, what's going on? Let's move it! <laughs> and it's no mo- nothing, wouldn't move. This la- I mean, this lady is beside herself, screaming, yelling, hollering, just going crazy. Well, she didn't realize there was a police officer right behind her. So he gets out of his car and he taps on the window and he says, Ma'am, would you get out of the car, please? <sighs> okay, fine. He handcuffs her, takes her to the squad car, puts her in the back seat, and now she's... <laughs> takes her to the station. Sits her down in an interrogation room. They go through all the info, find out it really was, you know, that, that she was actually okay. The police officer says, she goes, why did you arrest me? He says, ma'am, I saw the bumper stickers on the back of your car, and I saw how you were acting, so I assumed you'd stolen the car. (laughs) Don't advertise if you ain't selling. 
See? That's why I don't have bumper stickers on my car. <laughs> yeah, so don't you hold me up in traffic. That's why I don't carry a gun either. That would not be pretty. But confirmation, how do we confirm that we're a Christian? They will know we are Christians by our love. Caring about other people. The early church, when it began, these people, were their lives were transformed and they confirmed that transformation by repentance, by baptism. If you haven't been baptized, you need to call the church office and help us get that scheduled for you. Notice they, they just devoted themselves to the in teaching, the truth, to fellowship, the affirming of that, the breaking of bread, and so on. And just, you read that, it's all about it. It's just the transformation that took place. It's what happened. It's what happens. It's why church is so essential. And every time you go to church, four things need to happen. You need to hear the truth. You need to affirm that truth. You need to say to God, yes, God, I believe. Amen, God, I believe that. Now, Holy Spirit, transform me again. Keep up the work. Salvation is not a one-time experience. It's a lifelong process. It goes on and on and on forever. And then confirm that transformation by doing something that will involve your mouth, your hands, or your feet. If I come to you and say, hey, could you help me out here? Uh, I'll be with you in spirit, brother. That does not get trucks unloaded. Okay? I need your feet. I need your hands. And every so often, I need your mouth. And periodically, we like your wallet, too. But, you know, that's up to you. We heard a lot of choruses this morning that relate to the greatness of God. And that's part of church. It's letting the world know how great God is. And I want to close this morning with a very old song that uh, talks about the greatness of God. It goes like this. Though man may strive to crawl beyond the reef of space, to go beyond the distant glimmering stars, this world's a room so small within my master's house. The open sky, but a portion of his yard. How big is God? How big and wide his vast domain? To try to tell, these lips can only start. He's big enough to rule his mighty universe, yet small enough to live within my heart. As winter's chill may cause the tiny seed to fall, to lie asleep, Till waked by summer's rain, the heart grown cold will warm and throb with life anew. The master's touch 
will bring the glow again. How big is God? How big and wide his vast domain? To try to tell these lips can only start. He's big enough to Yet small enough to live within my heart. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Wow. Was that me? Praise God. Would you stand with me? I want to pray you, and then I want us to do the, the blessing. We do it just a little bit different. But let's pray. Heavenly Father, that's an amazing truth. You are big enough to rule your mighty universe, yet small enough to live in our heart. Thank you, God that day when I was, in my case, I was 10 years old, and I finally came to grips with the truth. I affirmed it. Yes, Lord, I believe. And you transformed my life as a little boy. And from that day on, I began to confirm your touch in my life. Tried to act differently tried to be more obedient with my parents, tried to be nicer with my brothers. Didn't always succeed, but God, you were always there, always there, forgiving, healing, encouraging, empowering, and strengthening. So, Father, I pray now for my brothers and sisters. Father, they've heard the truth this morning. I ask that they affirm it that they would say deep in their soul, yes, God, yes, 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 God. And that's all the doorway you need, Father, to, to rush into their lives and transform them, break the bondage of habits, restore broken things, encourage and uplift them, make them brand new, and then, Father, allow them in the newness of that life to step out, to use their feet, their hands, and their mouth to confirm what you've done in their hearts and lives and help them transform their families, their friends, their workplace, and everything that is about them. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. You are the greatest. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I want you to repeat the blessing of the Lord after me, but I'm going to do it a little bit different. I'm going to make it personal. So I want you to repeat after me. The Lord bless me and keep me. The Lord make his face shine upon me and be gracious to me. 
the Lord turn his face toward me and give me peace. Amen. Have a great week. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. We'll see you uh, come out Wednesday nights. It's amazing around here. Awana's going big guns. Ignite's happening. And uh, the prayer service is wonderful. Pastor Darrell will be back. It'll be a great week. God bless you. Bye-bye.